Can you describe the trip in one sentence or one word? I'd say the trip was pretty shocking. I feel like the trip was very eye-opening. It was a really memorable trip. It was really powerful. It was really touching. It was really emotional. It was very heartwarming. The trip was very reflective. Um, It really changed my perspective on the club. Before going on the trip, what did EC mean to you? I first joined EC primarily because I have family living in Fukushima, but we're living like pretty far from the power plant, so they didn't really have to like move or anything, but to be able to help out kids because like I know my cousins had to do things because or had to like some things in their lives changed. <laughs> so what it meant it meant a lot to me uh, just to be able to help out kids from that area. Before I went on the trip, EC was kind of like a fun weekend like get-together, kind of, where we'd teach kids English, and it was a lot of games and jokes and like hanging out with volunteers, but it changed after the trip. Before I went on the trip, English Circle was a place where I could hang out with the kids and have fun with them, and obviously we all know where they, where they come from, but it was easy to just see them as like our friends and just hang out with them and have fun. I wasn't in EC before the trip. I just joined EC, so it was kind of just a club for me. I didn't really know about it that much, but through the trip, I really got to know the kids and know their background. Before the trip, EC was also like something to do on a Saturday. It was like fun, but it it wasn't really like super meaningful or like didn't have that big of an impact. Yeah, for me too, EC was just like two Saturdays a month to interact with the kids, have a fun time, make it a fun time for them too, as well as the volunteers all having a fun time together. For me personally, EC is just like a time during Saturdays where like everyone else, you just have fun with the kids and with the volunteers. But like, I didn't really know like the exact backgrounds of each kid. So it was just kind of like, oh, we'll make their Saturday fun. Before the trip, I didn't really know too much about like the background of each kid and I just went on Saturdays to like have a fun time with them, but that definitely changed after the trip. Before the trip, I only been to EC once and I wasn't really aware of like the whole club, but like I joined because a lot of my friends are actually doing EC, so I just decided to join that trip. Um before the trip, EC was kind of just it was the only club I did. I joined kind of for like a personal, just like to make it seem like I was actually doing something. But like I knew what the club was about, but that was kind of the extent of it. I joined EC because it seemed pretty cool. Like all the other clubs were sort of like cool to like see and like understand like what they're doing. It was like pretty cool, but then none of them were like really hands-on. And it was like really fun. It's like every Saturday, just get together and just like talk. And like get to know the kids, yeah. I got into English Playground and English Circle through probably the best initiative since I've been here at ASIJ, which was the Japan Relief Fund. After 311 happened, this is true of international communities and international schools. When something really bad happens, other schools actually fundraise and then they send it to the school and allow us to decide where that money's going to go. 
So many, many communities and many, many alums contributed very generously. And we created the Japan Relief Fund here at ASIJ, which did many, many immediate uh, projects. And I was involved in some of those projects. And then we were actually looking for opportunities out of a tragedy, how to make more connections and how to make long lasting connections in Japan. So initially, a bank had started a program for the refugees from Fukushima. Uh, as you might know, after the earthquake, tsunami, and then the nuclear accident, many of the people in Fukushima were evacuated until we could figure out what was going to happen and the radiation. So we had a number of families who moved into Tokyo and were in many hotels and then were moved into government-sponsored housing. So there were a lot of families, a lot of displaced people, and a lot of kids. A bank started a program, like I said, that was for the kids, and it was like kind of a safe place. We ASIJ took over a program, and we named it English Playground. And initially, it was taken over by NHS, and they provided students to come and deal with really, 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 really traumatized children. NHS didn't really work out because the kids just signed up for hours instead of commitment. So then it was changed into a club. And those early years were incredibly difficult because the kids were, we were trying to, you know, teach them English and have fun. But the kids were really traumatized. It was really hard for them to sit still or to be in a different environment. Some cities in Tokyo, some coups were allowing us to use some municipal facilities. So we had to bring everything there. We had to clean up. It was a, a real hassle, but we found that it was really very worthwhile after a few years, it did calm down, I should say, and became English Circle. So we decided we wanted to try and give the students and um, the little children in the program the opportunity to learn English and maybe have an advantage in their lives. And then that's what it is now. I wanted to, I proposed to the English Circle leaders that we go up to Fukushima and the reason was some of our kids and their families have had to move back. The, sub, the government discontinued many of the subsidies. That is the money that they gave to families. So our families don't have enough money to you know, support two households, <laughs> one in Fukushima, one in Tokyo. So many of our families have moved back. And in an, an effort to kind of reconnect and show our commitment to them, I wanted to bring our English Circle kids up and actually have a lesson up there instead of in here in Tokyo, and then also learn about the situation in Fukushima, what happened and where we are in November 2018. So that was the plan. Um, the initial mission of English Playground was just to provide a safe place for kids and families. There were many, many instances of bullying in schools. Many areas of Fukushima are quite rural. And to come to Tokyo and then be put into a school with, you know, Tokyo kids, many of our kids got bullied. They didn't have any friends. There were a lot of families whose fathers remained in Fukushima. So it was just the mom and the kids here. So we actually then gave space for the parents to talk and because they couldn't talk about the only people who understood what they were going through were other people from Fukushima. 
So there, I could go on and on, but there were many, many issues. Um, but the mission has kind of changed in that we really are trying to give the kids an advantage in learning and speaking English so that they can have that advantage in their lives in Japan in the future. Uh, my name is Alex Ketelaris, member of the What's the Delia podcast, and I'm with two more members of EC, Tyler Cross, Kenzo Koo. Thanks for coming, guys. Thanks for having us. Thank you. So when we met last week, both of you said a particularly memorable moment of the trip was the parent interviews of the children who attend EC. And you specifically brought up a lot of what Mr. Um, how do you say his last name again? Mr. Matsueda. Mr. Matsueda said. So what do you say that specifically stood out to you guys? Personally, I feel like when, so after the 311 disaster happened, how like um, Matsueda-san initially worked at TEPCO. So he had to stay there and um, clean up all like the nuclear plant like yeah. um, contamination while his uh, family had to like leave Fukushima because of like sa- because of safety reasons. Yeah. And later on, like um, Matsueda-san joined the family later, and they all moved to Tokyo. But the most shocking part was when they came back, and how like there was like this local like discrimination of um, people in Fukushima who like the people who left Fukushima they were treated as like um how do you say it yeah they weren't accepted because yeah like they didn't help the people in Fukushima in like the worst times mm-hmm. like helping like cleaning up the contamination and instead they just left left for like their own safety yeah and how like they were like selfish for doing that so you think this was like common through like if anyone left like and not just this family it's everybody yeah it was everybody yeah. and like it was pretty shocking because like we never knew like their perspective and mm-hmm. i thought i knew a lot about fukushima and like about the contamination but yeah. like i never had like this perspective of like this local discrimination because it's like never on the news and like we never know about it hmm. um just to add on to that so I've done EC since my freshman year and Mr. Matsueda usually comes down almost every time. Mm -hmm. And so like I've gotten to know him kind of as, kind of as a person. Yeah. Um, and he usually seems like pretty laid back and like, he's just like a nice guy to talk to. Um, but when kind of this on the trip, when this whole, like when we started asking him questions about like what it was like, I've, I don't think I've ever seen him like this outspoken. Yeah. It's like clear to see it was a sensitive topic for him because I think the general notion or like kind of the idea a lot of people have is Japan experienced this disaster and the nation as a whole is trying to regroup and build back to where they once were. But then the reality is that in the places that were affected the most, there's like also the most divide, which yeah. was pr- like, like Kenzo said, it was pretty shocking to see that in a time where everyone should be kind of working together, the exact opposite was happening. It was just like two sides, like people who stayed, people who left. The people that stayed were, if anything, they were more hostile to those that left. And huh. kind of this idea that if you weren't here during the hardest time, you shouldn't be here when things are getting better. Wow. So I have uh, some footage from uh, what he said in that interview you guys did. And basically, to summarize it, he said uh, he knew someone who left Fukushima on his job after the earthquake, then he returned in the aftermath, and he went to his old company saying, yeah, I'm back, I want to start working again, and they said, no, you abandoned the company, and we never did, so we don't have a place for you anymore. 
that's basically what he said and i've i know i feel like that that's like the vibe you're talking about people had that sort of resentment for everybody yeah definitely i think in terms of like the company too japan's very the society's built upon respect yeah um and there's like a huge emphasis and i think loyalty to one's company mm-hmm. and i think that plays a huge role it's obviously hard because one of the kind of main ideas and struggles that a lot of the families were talking about were it was kind of almost like marriage versus family and then there was also an aspect of like their jobs as well so they had to kind of pick between like their jobs and their families and obviously what happened was for the most part i think in our case most of the dads were working and so the mother took the kids and left towards tokyo and even further south to osaka in some cases and so the dad would always stay usually Um, Mm -hmm. But in the cases where the dad left too, they kind of, they still live in Tokyo just because they don't have a place to be back in their home anymore. Apparently a lot of people experience divorces, not because of troubles within their marriage, but just because they picked, they opted to stay and try and fund for the family financially by not leaving their job. And that just led to like a bigger disconnect within the family. And so kind of multiple problems seem to arise from. And kind of like adding on to that, um how you talked about like the people like who left gushima like still stayed there and they were actually like now they actually have like a stable life because like they've been like they evacuated safely but like now recently like the government is telling them or like basically forcing them to go back to fukushima and they were like blackmailing them to like that they're not gonna like um, give them subsidies if they don't go back to Fukushima and this was mainly because of like the coming up Tokyo Olympics and they want to tell like the other countries that Japan is now safe uh, even so like even after like the Fukushima incident they are clean and they are like it's totally safe to like go to Japan so like that's the reason why like they're forcing the people who evacuated to Tokyo back to Fukushima and this is a problem because like this is creating like a really like it's really problematic and yeah so is it is it uh, is it safe in fukushima or is it still kind of it's pretty like no it's not safe at all actually wow. and like the micro roads are like 10 times even like 20 times higher than the radiation here and what was it called? The, yeah, the Geiger counters. We had Geiger counters to like measure like the the hot spots. And one time, um, one of the Geiger counters actually exploded because might have been because like it was a defective Geiger counter. But we we just think we just thought that like it was just because of the radiation was way too high. And yeah, that was one of yeah. Just to like I guess answer your question. The answer is like I don't know and most people don't know and like a lot of assumptions can be made but you know you can assume that it's not safe and obviously certain areas are less safe than others but the biggest issue is the fact that we don't know and not just because like as students and like high schoolers we're lacking kind of the knowledge in that area even the experts like we were talking to tepco and they kind of seem to avoid that question they kind of gave us indirect answers to try and make it seem like it was safe and that's kind of just not just us but even the people living in fukushima don't know if they're safe to be there wow so yeah to to wrap this up so what did you guys uh think you learned the most while on this trip if you had to pick one thing 
I learned most about it's so like the time like when we went to Tepco, how like they were actually like avoiding like like um pretty sensitive questions that we try to ask, and like I just realized like the like the whole reality of like Tepco trying to like protect themselves and and like the gap between that and like the locals in Fukushima who are like always like worrying about safety and just like the relationship between those two things was like the most like impactful part of like the trip for me um for me the most impactful was visiting kind of the area that was closed off to the rest of um like the rest of the population and we had special access because mr matsueda lived there and basically you walk in or you just walk through the town and nothing's been cleaned up so including mr matsueda's house um everything inside like his fridge was like on the floor his the beds were turned over um and nothing like nothing's been cleaned up and so just to kind of walk into a ghost town and then think that the government's asking them to move back in almost seemed ridiculous to me that like it's almost as if the government doesn't know the state of like the conditions that are like present and then asking them to move in was like pretty shocking to me wow well i guess uh it looks like our time's up so uh thanks for coming in guys i really i really appreciate this yeah thanks again thank you This is Ray Lindemann, and I'm here with senior Ty Kennedy and sophomore Kyle Koo, who are both active members of English Circle. They have agreed to share with us some of their experiences on the trip. Thank you for being here today, guys. Thank you. Thank you. So I know that you were able to sit down with some of the parents of the children who attend EC and talk to them about their personal experiences after the 311 disaster. Um, Is there any specific story you recall that particularly spoke to you? Uh, yeah, so one of the s- kids that we actually teach English, who's been like a pretty loyal member for the past couple of years, is Daito. And so Daito's family, both his father and mother, had like the most touching story, which is basically that his father actually worked on the actual power plant. So he, after the disaster, he was um, separated from Daito. So Daito didn't actually get to see his dad for a, a while. And in addition to that, his mom was freaking out because Daito actually has a lot of food allergies. So she was scared on how exactly she was going to get to, like, feed him all the food. And, like, because everything they ate was, like, pre-packaged food for, like, a while. So then, obviously, it's hard to get all the foods that he needs to get. Or, like, you can't really feed him, like, a solid diet. Would you like to talk about sort of uh, what happened with Daito's father who worked on the power plant? After the nuclear power plant, Mm -hmm. many of the TEPCO workers and employees were kind of seen in this negative way. I see, yeah. Because they are pretty much, they felt guilty for the the disaster and most people Mm -hmm. thought it was caused because of them. Oh, I see, wow. Um, And it was pretty sad because before they said that TEPCO was this like huge organization and a lot of people viewed it not so negatively, but maybe mm-hmm. not extremely positively, but like in like a pretty good way. So oh, I see that was definitely a huge change. Wow. So speaking of the topic of this sort of shame and I guess guilt, um, I think I recall you guys telling me briefly about some specific stories where there was this sort of 
almost like survivor's guilt and that was felt during the time of the disaster and would you like to share some of these stories that you told me last week one of the stories was this girl i think living in his neighborhood or the neighborhood next to his yeah she was feeling sick on a friday afternoon so the nurse just told her that she can just leave school early instead of staying but she insisted to just stay till school ended but the nurse was like no it's okay just you can you can head home so mm-hmm. she had she went home and then on her way home unfortunately the that was when the tsunami came and mm. she got swept away so it's quite a sad story wow i can't possibly even begin to imagine the horror of that but um uh, it's also my understanding that you guys had the opportunity to sort of talk to some people outside of the immediate sort of Fukushima area. And do you remember any notable conversations that might have sort of challenged your perceptions? We were taking a tour with a group of three other ladies. Mm-hmm. And they came from uh, Nagoya. Yeah. And so uh, right at the end... To like sum it up, at the very end, when uh, right about when we we're about to leave, they asked another question, and they asked, um, "Do you think the world can like keep on going without nuclear energy? Like, mm-hmm. do you think nuclear energy is necessary?" I see. Yeah. And so we we're all sort of just like looking around, looking at each other, like hoping that like another person would say something. So what did you what did you say? So I said that like there was no um, there's no other alternative. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, radioactive power is, like, the, like, I don't know. It's like, nuclear plants are the only way, like, we can survive right now the way we are living. I see. In a sort of sustainable way. Yeah. And there's no, like, I don't, I didn't say it was stupid to say that it's not. Mm-hmm. But I think it's, like, really, like, somewhat irrational to say that there's other alternatives when you haven't come up with an alternative. I see, yeah. So just, like, shooting a shot in the dark and, like. And how, how did they react to this? So they were, like, pretty frustrated, but they didn't, like, say anything. But they just said that they disagreed. Oh. And then so we just agreed to disagree, but... Wow. Well, this is obviously still a highly controversial issue um, that we need to sort of discuss further. I think definitely the biggest takeaway was just that, like, things like this mm-hmm. are just... You don't really understand, like, the the full weight of it until you actually see it, like, yeah, in person. True. So that was definitely wow. the biggest thing. Wow. Okay. Well, thank you guys for telling us all this and good luck with EC. Thank you. Hi, I'm Kaya Matsura and today I'm here with seniors Alyssa Cadwell and Elisa Fukuda, who are leaders of ASIJ's English Circle Club. So earlier we spoke to you guys about a very cute story about one of your EC kids and I was wondering if you could share that story with everybody. So about two years ago, we were at English Circle and a new volunteer had just joined the club and she was talking to the kids and she asked one of the kids, where's your favorite place to be? Or like, what's your favorite? Who's your favorite person or something like that? And then the kid was like, my favorite people are all the people at English Circle. And so for us, like me being there, like I've been in English Circle for around like four years now. So Hearing that from one of the kids that I've known and I've like spent time with every week made me realize how important English Circle is for them. And it's like a place where they feel belong, where, where they feel like they belong and where they feel accepted. One of the big fears that a lot of the parents have is them being from 
a place that's very radiated and having to move and send their kids to schools where no other kids can really relate is that a lot of these kids that come from Fukushima are actually bullied in schools because they're seen as radiated or like freaky or kind of untouchable. And just the thought of one of the kids being bullied because they were from a place that had experienced such a tragedy is kind of unimaginable. Mm. There's also tension within the community of people that had to evacuate. Am I correct? Yeah. What was really surprising to us was like there was this fence and it showed where like the the region of people that had to be forcibly evacuated and then just outside of that were people that had to volunteer to evacuate. And what we found out is that like people that are inside that um, region of having to forcibly be forcibly evacuate got a lot of government funding to evacuate. But then if you're just right outside that fence, then you don't get nearly as much of funding to move. And so we thought that was like, it was pretty surprising. So... What do you think the government, how do you think the government has handled this situation? Well, I think from their perspective, it's gone well because this happened almost eight years ago. And their whole goal is kind of let's move on from this and let's like the Olympics in 2020, like let's focus on that. This is a new like Japan is rebuilt. We're fine. And so from the government's perspective, I guess more or less things are going well, but I think that they didn't handle the situation well at all. And that was something we had to learn about on the trip was that for a lot of the evacuees, they weren't really given any information at all about how safe it was or when they'd be able to move back. And we actually visited a ghost town there and Apparently, according to the government, it's going to be all rebuilt and ready to go by 2022. And when we were there, it was there was no way that everything would be rebuilt by 2022 and it would be a functional town or city again. So I think that there's a lot of smoke and mirrors, kind of, and the government is trying to distract people, especially in Tokyo, where we don't live with like a reminder every day. So I think it's important to be mindful. What are some final thoughts you guys would like to share with the ASIJ community specifically to kind of ponder on? I think, again, just to remember that although for us in Tokyo, it happened eight years ago, that one of the main things we learned on the trip was that for people living there, 311 isn't over. And that we in Tokyo that do use a lot of the power need to be mindful of that and do what we can and not forget about what's been happening and not get distracted by the Olympics or kind of just like be mindful of what people are still going through. And something that we'd like to stress as we're going to be graduating soon is like the importance of the English circle itself because This club is really a place for all the kids and their families to feel comfortable in because they've, well, they've, this club has been going on since the earthquake. So they've been like meeting each other every week for the past eight years and they've really created a family with 
all the families, but also with all the volunteers. And I think for them, it's really a place that they feel like they can be themselves and like just like hang out and just like have fun. So it's really important to continue English Circle and just remember the importance of the club. The last question is, now that you've been on the trip, how has this changed your perspective on just 311 Tohoku Fukushima and or EC? Well, before the trip, I thought it was like, um, like I was in second grade, so I didn't really think much about it. And I knew it was like it was pretty devastating, but like not like to like a certain extent. After I went on the trip, I realized like, like how much, like how devastating it was to other people. And like how sad it was, so like now every Saturday like means like much more than you see. Yeah, adding on to that, I think because of the trip, I was able to see how much we meant to the kids that were attending EC, because and the interviews definitely helped that a lot. But all the parents were saying that for a couple years they didn't really seem to have too much fun, even like at school and stuff. But they said they were always excited to go to EC on Saturdays, so that was definitely shocking. We learned a lot about the kids' backgrounds, but we also learned a lot about Fukushima and what happened there. And one of the people we met there, his whole thing was that 311 is not over. And I think that was pretty striking to me because although it happened eight years ago, there are still people that feel the effects of it every day. I think after the trip, we all realized what each kid had to go through, but also what each parent had to go through. And the interviews that we had at Fukushima interviewed the parents of the kids, and we heard their stories from their perspective as well. So it was really eye-opening to hear what every family had to go through after the earthquake. 311 for me was kind of like just an earthquake and I felt it, but I didn't really have a personal connection to it. But through EC, I could see the impact of the earthquake and how EC can help and influence other people affected. The earthquake was almost eight years ago, and um, because it doesn't really affect us like every day today, it seems like it's over. But after speaking to all the families, it's really not. And the fact that we can make an impact on their lives every two weekends is really impactful. So even before the trip, EC was a club that was more hands-on and like interactive um, compared to other clubs. But after going on the trip, I think each Saturday that we meet with them, like every volunteer at EC, the value of those Saturdays, I think is a lot more now that we know like the backgrounds of the kids and their families. So on top of that, like, I honestly just feel grateful that, like, instead of, like, just making booths and money for clubs, like, I'm actually able to, like, hands-on help these kids. And I also found it shocking that when we were going to Iwake on the Shinkansen, and I realized it takes, like, three hours, and, like, to come to Tokyo every Saturday just for EC, that was, like, really eye-opening. Um, after the trip... I, it made me really realize how important EC was for the kids. And for us, it's like only two Saturdays, Saturdays a month. But to them, it's like, I feel like it's like a highlight of their month. And going on the trip and learning about each kid's background really touched my heart. Again, I wasn't really familiar of like the kids in EC, but like, 
after the trip and when my first EC, or like I think it was my second, see them in Tokyo, that's when it really got me because now that I realize that they've been through all this, their like their commitment from Fukushima all the way to Tokyo was like, it was really significant. Um, so on the trip, I had the opportunity to interview the parents of the kids and to listen to their stories kind of made me realize how significant again like everyone said how how much it means to the kids and so I almost kind of felt bad for not taking it as seriously before so that's why it was kind of like a good period of reflection but my first EC back definitely things changed and it meant a lot more to me. And so I hope that this episode has helped shed some light on the importance of what you guys have been doing for these families. <laughs>